Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Hello and welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan. Well, today we're going to be teaching from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll cover this chapter of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll be teaching from the New Living Translation for clarity. So let's jump right into our study and get started. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm reading verses 1 through 5. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Something so evil that even the pagans don't do. I am told that you have a man in your church who is living in sin with his father's wife. And you are so proud of yourselves. Why aren't you mourning in sorrow and shame? And why haven't you removed this man from your fellowship? Even though I am not there with you in person, I'm with you in the spirit. Concerning the one who has done this, I've already passed judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus. You are to call a meeting of the church, and I will be there in spirit, and the power of the Lord Jesus will be with you as you meet. Then you must cast this man out of the church and into Satan's hands, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved when the Lord returns. Now, these are certainly some clear but stern instructions from the Apostle Paul about sin in the church of Corinth. Because of the rampant sexual immorality in the city of Corinth, the church was affected by this kind of, this particular kind of sin. There were pagan temples where prostitution was commonly practiced as part of pagan rituals. To, uh, to be known as a Corinthian was to be identified with uh, immoral sexual conduct. It was a it was a, a shame to be called a Corinthian because uh, sexual immorality was so rampant there. And one of the appeals of pagan worship, idol worship, was that they had these temple prostitutes. So they blended sex in with their worship. And you could go into these temples and, and uh, fulfill all of your uh, illicit sexual desires there. Uh, as you worship their pagan gods. So that that had been a problem for Israel down throughout its history, and that was part of the appeal uh, of this idol worship that, that kept attracting them and drawing uh, them in. They would, uh, they would engage in the, all of this sexual immorality. And so Corinth was a sinner for that. And so that stuff had uh, affected the church in Corinth, uh, and Paul had received a report of the grossest kind of sexual immorality in the church. It was common knowledge uh, among the members of the Corinthian church that one of their members was sleeping with his, evidently his stepmother, his, his father's wife. And the church and the church leaders were ignoring this problem and, and still parading around as if they were spiritual. They were uh, uh, they were exercising their spiritual gifts, so speaking in tongues and 
and tongues and interpretation and prophecy. And they were, they were parading around as if they were spiritual while this mess was going on in the church. And so Paul commanded them to take drastic measures and put this man out of the church. He told them to have a meeting. I'll be there in my spirit. And the Lord Jesus Christ uh, will be there and uh, have a call a meeting. Put this man out of the church so that his flesh will be destroyed. Turn him over to Satan. Put him out of the church. Turn him over to Satan. Now, when a person is put out of the, out of the church, then they are fair game for the devil. And he, he attacks them with his demons and he begins to work on them, work on their flesh and, ter and terrible things begin to happen in their lives. And Paul's motive was not to destroy the man, but Paul was, his motive was to bring the man to a place of repentance. And a person cannot be brought to a place of repentance as long as someone is mollycoddling them in their sins and acting as if it's okay, that, that there's nothing wrong, business as usual. So Paul was appalled by the fact that they could uh, carry on worship knowing that this stuff was going on in the church. So Paul sternly rebuked the church leaders and the members for ignoring this problem. He also uh, rebuked them for the to have the audacity to be proud and arrogant when such blatant sinful behavior was going on right under their noses. Despite this terrible sin in the church, the Corinthians were proud, and uh, again, they were parading themselves. And Paul uh, informed them that it wasn't a time for them to celebrate and be proud of, of their spirituality, uh, that they were not spiritual by, uh, when they allowed this kind of stuff to go on. Uh, they lacked spirituality and maturity. And so he told them, you shouldn't be celebrating and all happy. You should be mourning that, that this is going on in your church. This should trouble the whole church that this kind of stuff is going on. You can't just celebrate over this kind of blatant sin. So this is a, a, an important uh, lesson for church leaders and members today. Paul made it clear that church members can and should be disciplined for certain kinds of misconduct. We're not to ignore a public sin when it enters the church. Um, some church leaders say, let the wheat and tares grow together. Well, that's a good way to have a, a field full of tares because Paul said a little leaven leavens a whole lump. Uh, if you allow a bad apple to, to, to remain in the bush, the whole bunch is going to be bad before it's over with. So uh, no, when Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 13 uh, the, about the wheat and the tares, that parable was about the world and not the church. Um, the, the field was the world. Okay. Uh, the tares were the bad seed that the devil sowed in the world. And he said at the end of the age, the angels are going to come and sever the, the, uh, tares from among the wheat and going to throw the tares into, into a, a fiery furnace and burn them and gather the wheat into his barn. Okay. So that parable was about the world and not about the church. You can't just allow blatant sin to go on in a church and you know about it and not do anything about it. Uh, uh, if a person is willing to repent, that's good. But if they're not willing to repent, then they have to be ex excised. They have to be removed from the church. Um, Jesus's parable again was about the world. Now, when this kind of blatant sin comes in light, church leaders are responsible to confront it 
and to compel the sinner to repent and desist from it. And if a sinner is willing to repent, that's wonderful. Then you embrace them and you encourage them and and, and we, we help them to grow and to get right back on right footing and we'll hold them accountable. Uh, but if they refuse to repent, there's nothing to do but show them the door. In Paul's day, shining a church member had dire consequences uh, by withdrawing their support and by withdrawing their fellowship and encouragement. The, the offender would be left uh, to himself to reflect upon his sins and to compound the situation. The person would be open to assault and difficulty from the demonic world. Satan and the demons would grab him. He's no more shielded by the church and, more, uh, and shielded by the people of God and, and shielded by God. Christians may not understand it. Most of us may not. But God has a shield around us and he's protecting us from most of the stuff that the devil would like to bring upon us. Um, he's not having his way with us. Okay. On one occasion, Jesus told Peter, Simon, he said, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But he said, but I prayed for you. And, and when you're converted, strengthen your brothers. So it's important to note that God is our shield and he is our exceeding great reward. And we're, when we're part of God's family, he's shielding us. He's protecting us. When we get put out, if a person commits a uh, terrible enough sin and refuses to repent of that and gets put out, then they are being removed from that shield. And then the devil is going to have its way. And uh, terrible things begin to happen in the person's life. They begin to go down, down, down. And, and, and so Paul didn't, again, didn't want to destroy the man, but he wanted to uh, let that man feel the consequences of his actions. Let him see what it's like to be outside the protection and the shielding of God. And then he would be brought to repentance. And then his soul would be saved. Okay. So um, uh, when a person gets put out of the church, and especially in Paul's day, they didn't have the comfort of someone else. Now, of course, today, uh, sometimes we, when a person commits a terrible sin and gets steeped in pride and won't repent over it, and and uh, they get put out of the church, and they'll go right down the, uh, down the street to the next church. But it still doesn't get them out of out from under the trouble that was going to come to, uh, their way. Trouble, guilt, sadness, and possibly depression uh, would be heaped upon that rebellious person by Satan and his demonic forces. Paul suggested that this approach would destroy the offender's flesh and his predisposition to sin. And in this way, he would be brought to repentance. I'll tell you what, when the devil gets through with you, uh, you want light. You, you want, you want to get back right with God. If the devil has his way with you just right, you'll want to find God. You'll want to find God's people. You'll want to, uh, uh, repent of the wrong that you've done and you'll want to just get back in. Okay. And so that's what Paul was aiming at when he said, put this person out of the church. Now, this kind of church discipline is, again, it's not quite as effective today because um, people go down the street. But still, it's incumbent upon those in, in leadership, the pastors uh, of a church, to deal with uh, blatant sin in the church. When a person is committing this kind of a heinous thing, 
uh, in the church and they're, and, and they're a member of the church and, and you know about it, uh, then we're responsible to, to deal with it, to talk to that person, try to get them to repent, show them the error of their ways, try to help them to get straight. Because if we don't deal with it, it's going to spread. Whatever the approach, Paul urged, urged the church to deal with the kinds of sin that bring a reproach upon the entire church and may cause other Christians to fall. He warned that if ignored, sin would spread throughout the entire fellowship like a, a cancer and bring blight upon the local church. Now I'm reading verses six through eight. How terrible that you should boast about your spirituality and yet you let this sort of thing go on? Don't you realize that if even one person is allowed to go on sinning, soon all will be affected? Remove this wicked person from among you so that you can stay pure. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not by eating the old bread of wickedness and evil, but by eating the new bread of purity and truth. So these saints were ignoring this terrible sin among them. And they were boasting about how spiritual they were. The fact that they were not offended showed just how unspiritual they were, that they could see this kind of thing going on, go on with their fellowship, not be bothered by it, not deal deal with it. The fact that they were not offended showed just how unspiritual they were. They were not zealous for God and his church. They were dull in their spiritual lives and needed to be awakened. Paul repeatedly commanded them to remove this man from, from their fellowship. They were commanded to purge their membership of this terrible sin. Now, in his second letter, this is the first letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, but in his second letter to the Corinthians, in, in, in uh, chapter two of second Corinthians, uh, Paul commended the Corinthians because they listened to his stern advice. They read his letter. They were moved to repentance. They began to mourn over that sin and they put this dude out of there. They put him out. They, they put this man out of the church, just like Paul said. Um, and, and, and then Paul wrote this, wrote a second letter and he told them, okay, he's been out there long enough. Well, and they were, they were giving this guy the, the act. They were reading him the riot act. They had shut him out there and, uh, he was having a terrible time. And so Paul had mercy on him. He wanted to come back. And so Paul said, okay, that's enough. Let him up. Okay. He, he's, he's squealed. He's cried uncle. He's, he's ready to repent. He's ready to do right. So Paul said, let him back in. We don't want him to stay out there so long till, till, until he becomes totally discouraged. We don't want to destroy him. We just want to get him right with God. Okay. So they evidently expelled that sending member from the church and Paul urged them, bring him back. And you can, you can read that in second Corinthians chapter two, verses uh, five through eight. We'll, we'll eventually get there and deal with that. They were encouraged to show this uh, man who had done this terrible thing. They were encouraged to show him now love and support. And that's the way the church is supposed to function. Uh, the church deals like a family. 
Um, of course, my my uh, own family, uh, uh, my dad and my mom was there. I was raised by both of them. I was fortunate enough to have both parents uh, in my home when I did something wrong. Now, my dad never whipped me. He never whipped me. And, and I'm, I'm saying whipped. I'm not saying spanked because he used a belt or a switch uh, on me usually. And and uh, he never whipped me for doing uh, for, for nothing. He never whipped me for for uh, not doing wrong, um, and he didn't whip me for accidents. If I turned over, spilled the milk at the table, or uh, uh, knocked over something and broke it accidentally, he didn't whip me for that. He might give me a little scolding to be careful, more careful, but never whipped me for that. He got me when I was just uh, clearly violate his rule after he told me what to do and what not to do, and I go ahead and do that anyway, that's rebellion. And he would tear my behind up behind that. But when it was over with, uh, he didn't hold a grudge. He didn't stay angry. Uh, you know, everything was okay. Once I paid the price, once I got back right with the family, okay, then, then everything was okay. I'm accepted back. That's the way the church deals. We don't deal with people for mistakes or for, for, uh, uh, even if they sin and they're willing to repent of that. We love them back in. It's when a person blatantly sins and they won't repent. That's when you have to deal with them. And then, but, but after you've dealt with them, then you can bring them back in. You can show them love again because that's what the church is about. The church is about not destroying people, but restoring people. And sometimes people have to be restored. Uh, they have to be shown tough love and uh, they have to be dealt with because if you just pat them along, they'll continue on in their sin. They'll think it's okay. They'll think that God is countenancing this, that, you know, God hasn't lowered the hammer on me. The pastor hadn't said anything. The members haven't said anything. I can go on like this and I'm okay with God. No, you have to deal with it. And so, Paul didn't want the man to be consumed by sorrow. Um, he didn't want him to be completely destroyed. He wanted him to be brought to repentance. And uh, despite this man's terrible sin against the church, Paul was genuinely concerned about his well-being. That's a family, and that's what the church is supposed to be like. We are the family of God. He didn't want the man to become discouraged beyond recovery, because if you leave him... If you leave them out there, if you don't accept them back, then they can go all the way and just become completely despairing and and completely fall away. Now, I'm reading verses 9 through 13, and we'll finish this chapter. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or uh, who are greedy or swindlers or idol worshipers, you would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. What I meant was that you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian, yet indulges in sexual sin, or is greedy, or worship idols, or is abusive, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Don't even eat with such people. It isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your job to judge those inside the church who are sinning in these ways. God will judge those on the outside. But the scripture says you must remove 
the evil person from among you. Okay? So, um, Paul is again reiterating. Uh, it's just what I said earlier, that Jesus wasn't talking about the church when he said, let the wheat and the tares grow together. We can't judge the world. That's God's, uh, that's God's purview. Uh, that's his responsibility to judge the world. So Paul said, uh, when I told you not to associate with these kind of people, I wasn't talking about people in the world. We're going to have to associate with them. We have to minister to them. We have to preach to them and, and all of these things. He was, he's saying, I was talking about those who call themselves Christian, those who are, are members of your church who are in, indulging in sexual immorality, these sexual sins. They are greedy. That is greedy. When you're greedy, you're, you're cheating people. You're, uh, you're taking advantage of other people and, and just money is your God. Uh, those who worship idols. Okay. Um, uh, and, and Paul just named a list of people that, that the church was not, church members were not to associate with it. They know that they were openly engaging in this kind of stuff. So, uh, he's saying you had to leave the world to get away from people in the world like that. And beside that, we have to preach to them. We have to mingle with them to try to win them out of the world. But Paul says, don't associate with people in the church that you know are doing these things. You have to get rid of that. So Paul decided that he needed to qualify his previous statements warning against associating with uh, um, sexually immoral people. And, and there he has, he's done it. He made it plain to them that, you can't just let this go on and uh, and keep uh, acting like everything is is okay. You've got to deal with these people. You've got to purge them out. If they don't repent, if they don't turn from that, you've got to purge them uh, purge them out. So, okay. So this may seem seem like a contradiction to some, but because Jesus commanded his disciples not to judge, Paul said, "Judge those that are in the church." and and by judging, he doesn't mean to judge their heart. He means uh, to to bring judgment upon them for their for their action. That is, judging means to deal with them about their sin. Um, they're committing a sin, like this man was was sleeping with his uh, his stepmother, uh, and nothing was being done about it. Paul is saying, uh, have the meeting. That's how you judge. You know what's going on. Have the meeting, confront the man about it. If he doesn't repent, turn away from it, put him out of the church, okay? That's the kind of judgment Paul is saying. He's saying bring judgment against those people who are sinning and deal with their sins, okay? He's not talking about criticizing people for their motives and, and gossiping and all of this stuff. He's saying take action and deal with these things, okay? Now, these problems that Paul faced in the Corinthian church are problems that have been common to all churches of all ages. God gave Paul the wisdom and insight to deal with, uh, with these various problems, not just for the people of his time, but for all the saints and all the churches in every succeeding generation. We have the same thing today that Paul had to deal with. And so, uh, God had Paul to write these letters dealing with this, and they, those letters became a part of our Bible, so that we have a manual now on on church 
uh, man, uh, church management and church discipline. Okay. The Bible says this, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, that passage is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and I read it in the New Living Translation. So God inspired Paul and some of the other apostles to write letters outlining how to address these problems in the church for every pastor who would grapple with these same problems in their day. These letters were preserved and passed on to us in the form of scripture. In verse 11, Paul provided a list of the kinds of sins that bring a reproach upon the church and should be dealt with by shunning the offender. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but, uh, but, it, but it gives a sense of the kinds of offenses that would warrant expelling a member from the church if necessary. Confrontation of this kind may not be easy, okay? Uh, that's why Paul told Timothy, you, you can't be timid now. You got to deal with things. You can't be timid. It's not easy. Uh, I'm a person who don't like confrontation. But as a pastor for 21 years, I pastored a church, uh, established a church with just my wife and three children, and, and the church grew up. And now it is New Direction Church, and my son is pastoring that church. Um, several thousand members now. But the pro, but the, but the thing is, uh, I didn't like confrontation and dealing with uh, these kinds of, of things uh, uh, with people. I, I just like to get along with people. I hated confrontation. But as a pastor, uh, I had to get out of my comfort zone. And uh, if, if, if anyone's watching this program and, and, and you're a pastor, you have to get out of your comfort zone. It's just like when you're a parent. Uh, I didn't like uh, uh, having to spank my children, discipline my children, uh, whip my children, okay, when they got really wrong. And, and I didn't have to do uh, the girls too much. I didn't have to whip them much. Just uh, a good scolding would usually get them. But, but my son, who is, who is now a pastor, uh, he was bullheaded and, rebel and rebellious. And so I had to get him. But it always ruined my day. It took me out of character because I like to get along. I like peace. Who doesn't like peace? But you have to deal with things or you'll lose the whole ship. So people who are timid about discipline uh, have to get out of that timidity, deal with the situation. Once it's dealt with, get back into your regular form as a peace-loving, joy-loving person, and then go on about your business, okay? Um, so confrontation may not be easy, but it's necessary for the protection of the rest of the congregation and to bring about correction and restoration to the offending member who, who may be practicing such sin. God's greatest interest, and, and this is important, I want to emphasize this, God's greatest interest is to rescue his sheep when they stray. He has a special love for every one of his children. Jesus shared a parable of a shepherd who had a uh, hundred sheep. And when one of them strayed away, 
um, and became lost, that shepherd went, he left the 99 sheep and went out looking and searched until he found that one wayward sheep, put him on his shoulder, brought him back, put him back safely in the fold. That's part of our responsibility as pastors is to deal with the wayward sheep. We have to deal with the, the those stubborn sheep. Uh, we have to protect the, the sheep that are doing right. We have to discipline that sheep that is in rebellion. And sometimes it's necessary if they get staunch and prideful and refuse to repent to tell them to move on. You have to put them out. And then, of course, uh, when they repent, if they repent, well, sometimes people refuse to repent. They'll just go somewhere else and get welcome, welcomed in, and they may never repent. But uh, when that happens, it's a disservice to the person who is who is under church discipline. Okay. All right. Well, that brings us to the close of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In our next session, we will study chapter 6. Friend, if you're ever in the Indianapolis area, I'd like to invite you to come visit us at New Direction Church, where my son, Kenneth Sullivan Jr., is the senior pastor. Our East Campus is located at 5330 East 38th Street, and our North Campus is located at 7701 East 86th Street. For service times, visit our website at ndcbetterlife.org. Please join me next week at this same time for another session of Teaching Through the Bible. Until then, may God richly bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Thank you.